course, there's infrastructure. You know, there's uh, company formation, licensing, bank accounts. Uh, you know, legal framework, govern. You know, governance policy, all of that. That's there. Um, but it's also management, which is what I said. You know, m- management skills for building uh, and and motivating teams in these times, especially. So you know, what I think is a gap is that we really need. That's what I see is the biggest gap in this ecosystem is that we need established entrepreneurs as well as executives in some of the best companies that have uh, that have come out from this country to become mentors and advisors to these startups. Hi, welcome to the Startup Fridays, weekly conversations with accomplished entrepreneurs, VC investors, and other folk who are doing significant work in India's startup ecosystem. I'm Hari Arakli. And my guest today is Madhu Shalini Iyer, a partner at Rocketship.vc, a Silicon Valley-based fund investing globally. Madhu started out with an engineering degree from the University of Sydney. In her 20-plus years as an engineer, operator and investor, her previous roles include Chief Data Officer at Gojek, which she helped to grow into a business valued at $10 billion at the time and a founding member of Intuit's QuickBooks lending platform. As the data science leader at Intuit, Madhu helped grow the platform to $300 million and holds two patents in the areas of user data augmented algorithms for financial inclusion. As an investor, she was previously a partner at STEM Financial, a $150 million private equity firm in Hong Kong. She was about to start her own deep tech fund, but decided to team up with the founding partners at Rocketship. Rocketship's portfolio in India includes Apna, Moglix, Khatabuk, Mad Street Den, Urubu Labs, Agnikul, and several other companies. Madhu, welcome to Startup Fridays. Fantastic that you're able to make time for this. Thanks for having me, Harry. Yeah. So, in fact, why don't we... Uh, Start with start at the beginning. You went to engineering school in Australia. Tell us a bit about that, and then I know twenty plus years from there. So maybe attempt a snapshot uh, from there to the VC investors role. Absolutely, and I think a pre uh, a precursor to my engineering school in Australia is my um, uh, is my high school in Singapore, which uh-huh. played a pivotal role in my life later, much much later. Um, so I went, I grew up in India. Uh, my father was in the Air Force, so kind of moved around a lot, even within India uh, and really didn't stay in main, uh, you know, mainstay India, if you will, uh, because, you know, n- away from the cities, I don't know if you know, Air Force bases are about 150, 200 kilometers away. Uh, so I'd never really taken a public transportation in India. And so, you know, it was a world away from world, but yet really very Indian upbringing. Uh, went to uh, went to high school in Singapore. Um, and uh, and from there, I went to University of Sydney for computer engineering um, and did a lot of math courses as well and decided to move to the Valley, uh, to San Francisco and, uh, you know, um, uh, by way of, so I moved back to Singapore for about a year, worked there and then moved to the Valley uh, and became, um, uh, you know, was working in, in UCSF uh, with the uh, chief uh, statistician, as they called it back then, um, there and uh, you know, uh, I realized that um, uh, statistics was a true calling for me, um, and uh, joined a, a company called Exponent, which was started by a bunch of Stanford folks, 
uh, and it was a consulting uh, and science think tank. Uh, and I was in the statistics and data sciences practice and I was a senior scientist, uh, you know, much, much before the word data science was coined, mm. doing a bunch of uh, uh, statistical analysis, uh, product analytics for, you know, really, really early stage uh, early stage product analytics and so on and so forth, and and then joined into it. Um, and uh, one of their first data scientists was, you know, working with QuickBooks and TurboTax and mm. and Mint. Uh, Mint was just acquired by Intuit, um, uh, which was really personal finance. And so it was really fintech wave one as we were seeing it, uh, because what had happened was uh, TurboTax had gone from being on the CDs to online, as so with QuickBooks and and whatnot, and then it started uh, started the QuickBooks Capital uh, uh, group there. One of the founders, and so that's how it all started. It was fintech wave one, Cabbage and OnDeck and Lending Club and all of those were just getting formed then, or had been formed. Uh, so I was really lucky, in the right place at the right time. Hmm. Somewhere along the way, you also had your own deep tech fund as well before joining Rocket Ship. How did you get interested in deep tech? Yeah, so you know, like I just said, uh, you know, obviously did a lot of uh, uh, data-driven product, uh, uh, you know, in my life, uh, and so obviously that uh, was always, you know, uh, AI. Uh, um, you know, how do you sort of uh, AI was a big sort of learning for me through my career. Uh, how do you apply that? Uh, so on and so forth. Um, and uh, and so when I came back to the U.S. after my stint in Gojek uh, and in the fintech fund in Singapore uh, and in Southeast Asia, um, w- what I realized was that I really wanted to look, uh, you know, into broader stuff and AI applications to broader uh, things, you know, not just fintech, but consumer tech, which, you know, of course, you know, at Gojek had seen plenty of. Uh, but also B2B uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and so I uh, decided that I would do a cross-border fund and use my AI expertise. Uh, and I was one of the few investors at that time in the Valley that, uh, you know, 2017 seems like very, very um, recent, but it was, you know, I think we have uh, each year has been uh, a decade in terms of globalization and global VC, if you will. Because, you know, if you were in the valley, you you had outposts out in Asia, but you couldn't sit in the valley and invest in India and in Southeast Asia and so on and so forth. So, you know, I wanted to do this AI-driven fund uh, where, you know, it would be a cross-border fund we could take back. And it was not really AI-driven, but it was an AI fund which would uh, help companies um, uh, in, in Asia and across the world like LATAM with AI stuff. And me sitting in the valley, that would really be helpful. And I could bring those guys back. Uh, and so that was the cross-border idea. Yeah. Hmm. So on the financial side, how do these things work? You invested that money and joined Rocketship. You continue to run it or you folded it into Rocketship? So I actually uh, did not take in the money. Uh, I had, uh, I had, I did not call in the capital. Okay. Uh, Rocketship and I decided to sort of, uh, you know, go ahead with the uh, you know, rocket ship because i it really excited me uh with what these guys were doing in do- rocket ship you know um uh, it was data driven uh, it, it was using everything that i had done in my life um and mm. you know in terms of just the way of finding startups in terms of what we they could offer startups and finally uh, even the worldwide investing yeah mm. 
by by the time you joined them how long had they already been you know a vc firm so i joined them in fund uh, as they were beginning to deploy fund 2 okay. uh, they had just finished fund 1 uh and uh, so you know um, they they had we have three fund now we are in fund 3 so there's three fund cycles and uh, i joined in fund 2 mm-hmm. uh, the 2015 is the was the vintage of uh, fund 1 and 2019 was the vintage of fund 2 so you know joined mm-hmm. uh, joined in vintage fund 2 vintage 2019 yeah, i mean even in india's startup scene you all are quite a well known name now uh, and even many of the startups you all have invested are well known startups doing very well i mean at least that's what we see from the outside for more general audience maybe you could give us a sort of brief history of you know rocketship the founders and what they all wanted to do and so on yeah so um rocketship is uh, a data driven fund and i'll come back to what that means uh, in much more uh, in you know in a much deeper sort of uh, answer later on uh, but it was founded by entrepreneurs um, uh, past entrepreneurs past operators past founders um, and just like myself uh, and past scientists and technologists um, so silesh uh, anand and venki uh, are the three uh, partners um, that founded uh, rocket ship um um uh, anand and venki um you know uh, obviously you know they they are well known entrepreneurs indian entrepreneurs in the bay area uh, in the valley um they did a phd in computer science out of stanford uh, both iit madras um and and uh, while they were finishing their phd computer science program started jungly that was acquired by amazon in 1999 for 250 million dollars which you know it was a long long time back so there was a there was a decent valuation um uh, and uh, they worked directly for jeff uh, bezos um and uh, were sort of behind uh, what's now the third party marketplace which is one of the biggest revenue generators for amazon um they were also the inventors of the amazon mechanical turk uh, which is still used by millions of uh, you know businesses across the world uh, and individuals um they started a fund uh, where uh, jeff was an anchor investor Uh, in 2000 cambrian ventures and that did really really well and it was a very difficult year so you know uh, that was a year of the downturn um, and they obviously did really well uh, they then started uh, a company called cosmics which became walmart labs because it was acquired by walmart uh, and and then uh, they uh, decided to uh, start rocket ship along the way their angel investors in facebook and lift and efficient frontier and upwork uh, and so on and so forth the third uh, founder Silesh Ramakrishnan um is also from IIT Madras um, um was in the PhD computer science program at Michigan um and was a uh, NASA uh, rocket scientist truly uh, was writing code uh, which runs on most uh, Mars rovers uh, right now um and uh, he uh, joined uh, Anand and Venki in Cosmics uh, and you know uh, was the chief data scientist there uh, took it to uh, Uh, took it to Walmart Labs, you know, to Walmart, and then what became Walmart Labs, um, and then he started a company that had you know top tier funding from the Valley, and uh, that company got acquired by Square, uh, and so as you can see, really truly technologists, data scientists, uh, entrepreneurs, operators, founders, uh, the spectrum, uh, and and that's how we all sort of uh, you know it's it's a lot of like minded synergy. Uh, and rocket ship was started by all of them with the idea that 
um, you know, they had all done a, a lot of building and investing, uh, company building and investing, and how do we combine, and then of course data, and how do we combine all three? And that's the synthesis of the idea. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we found India very early because it's an, you know, in India uh, focused conversation. Uh, what is notable is that before anybody else found India, sitting in the valley, we were accidental global investors where we started finding India more and more um, and in our uh, algorithms and in our data and in our screens. And so we decided to invest in India uh, from fund one itself. Uh, and so, like I said, it was a valley fund when we start when they started it and uh, we became accidental global investors. And we are now super thrilled to be uh, omnipresent in the India startup scene. I was actually thinking about this name and it's like the quintessential message of the VC-driven model, right? You want companies to grow like rocket ships take off and provide everyone with outsized returns and so on. So I'm just wondering if uh, there's some story behind why they chose rocket ship as a name and wondered if you had any conversations around that. So rocket ship was uh, really a name given to the fund by Silesh okay. uh, because, you know, he truly, uh, he he worked at NASA uh, and so, you know, uh, we, he thought that we should, uh, uh, he thought that, you know, rocket ship was an, uh, was a very apt name. And funnily enough, we have backed into our name in, uh, in a way where we are seeing our performance and, uh, mm. we are one of the best companies and the fastest growing companies. And so, so as rocket ship, we like to invest in rocket ships. <laughs> and so, yeah. Mm. Mm. So in India, uh, can you talk about, uh, the first investment that you personally led, how did you find them and what what's happened with that? Sure. Uh, so the one thing that I would like to clarify is that we are a very different fund uh, and our way of operating is very different. Um, we get our deal source from uh, our, our, our algorithms. So we have this huge data set. We have about 50 million companies, 47 million to be precise, growing every day as companies get incorporated. And from there, we sort of cull to about 1,200, 2,000 companies per year and a few hundred companies a month. And from these companies, we are, uh, you know, sort of manual curation. And then it's all sort of a, a, a pretty uh, traditional VC. So we're a very traditional VC, uh, but our deal flow comes from our data. Now, what that means and what that entails is that we are not, uh, you know, we are not the typical VC where a partner goes and finds a deal uh, and then that deal is sort of theirs. And that's not how we work. You know, it's all from the data. Uh, we all have sort of the same incentive, if you will. Uh, and so there's really no deal that is mine or Venki's or, uh, uh, you, you know what I mean? So so that's, so we're very clear on that. And that is, I think, also uh, a very salient point, which um, which is moot in many of our conversations, which I should bring up more and more, is that because of this structure, uh, what happens is that, um, you know, we are all incentivized equally to give back to the companies with everything that we have, uh, be it network, be it knowledge transfer, be it sort of, you know, help and and beyond. Um, and so it's 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 sort of equal uh, vesting, if you if you will. And I'm, I'm using the words very, very loosely, uh, but just to kind of, uh, you know, uh, just to sort of belabor a point that it's not a deal uh, any deal that is led by um, this, that, or the other. Having said that, I'll say that I came into Fund Two uh, and and found companies like Khata Book and Apna and Animal, um, you know, and Kutumb. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's obviously been um, an extremely jarred, uh, agnikul, 
uh, Urav Labs, um, you know, raise financial services, which is Dhan. Uh, so many uh, that that I can speak of. Uh, that I've had the, um, you know, I've had a lot of, uh, I've been very fortunate uh, to be able to speak and get to know all these founders. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's that's a little bit about, you know, our investments in India and my exposure to the Indian landscape. Uh, and I know I didn't answer your question directly, but I, I think I, I gave you a very broad sort of stroke of how our fund works um, and, and why entrepreneurs are also excited by this by this mode of or you know by this mode of operations uh, or you know our our mode of operations is very different to others yeah okay uh, a little bit of better understanding of the how you do your work maybe you can delve into the why a little bit more i mean talk about the model why it's made you successful yeah so what happens is that um in vc and this is my personal belief the more number of deals that one sees the better you are at, uh, you know, the odds of picking uh, the best one increases. You've seen everything, and then you're able to sort of pick, uh, you know, uh, what you really like. So that's at the that's at the heart and center, and front and center of the way and why we do things. We are seeing every company in the world in our database. Now these come from more than thirty or you know more than fifty sources, dynamic and static sources. As a result, we have a point of view, a single row, if you will, because we homogenize everything and you know uniform, like uniformize everything. We have a single row of you know truth on every company, and then these companies sort of you know B two B, B two C, deep tech, everything world over, geo sector agnostic, as I said, and geographic agnostic as well, and they all sort of go into our models. And from there, you know, the top companies, uh, according to our models, are served and they become screens. Uh, and many companies make our screens. Um, and so the that's, I think, the front and center of the why is we want to be able to see the best companies. We want to be a, across the world. We want to be able to have access to these great companies uh, we want to be able to give back to these great companies uh, after we have access to them and we invest in them. Uh, and we then want to also have uh, the conviction power to move fast, uh, you know, because uh, access and giving back is one thing, but also the conviction that we have from our algorithms that these are great companies is quite high. Uh, and so we've invested in companies in a couple of days. So I know we spoke to Apna Nirmit on a Friday evening, and by Sunday, we had, you know, we, we of course, did a lot of work, uh, you know, in terms of sort of uh, doing the data, due diligence and whatnot. Uh, but we were quick because we knew and we had a point of view on the company because of our algorithms. And we were very nimble. We were very quick, which is the reason we couldn't we could get into a very competitive round. Um, you know, he, I remember Nirmit, the, uh, Nirmit Parekh was getting inundated with offers um, you know, uh, but we were, we were quick uh, to get in because of our conviction. Uh, and that's the why of it. Why do we do the way we do things? How do we get into these fastest growing companies? And why are we so convicted? It's because of uh, essentially who we are and wh what we have done to build on top of who we are. Does it help you get better terms with the best companies? Well, I, I think we have been in such a frothy environment until now, uh, you know, and especially fund two, uh, I I think that the fund that I the the 
the fund cycle that I've been part of, the vintage year, has been so frothy uh, that I don't think that uh, you know I would be uh, it would be right for me to opine on that because uh, uh, the terms for any VC were not great. You know, for the mm. best companies in the world, uh, we um, and I'm not saying that the terms were not great. The it was a founders market uh, for the best companies. Um, uh, and uh, and we all know that now. Um, now looking forward, uh, things are going to perhaps change. Uh, things are already changing. We're already seeing valuation corrections. Uh, and yes, you're right that certainly being way ahead of anybody else to identifying companies, which you know I don't want to name the company's name right now. It's uh, it's a little early because we are in talks. But we had seen this company before anybody else. This Indian company before anybody else in India had seen them. Uh, we had put them on a watch list. So, you, you know, it would be right to say that we are going to be able to get the terms we want because we are finding companies ahead of others, uh, you know, and we're convicted and so on and so forth. Yeah. Typically, at what stage do you like to invest? How much money do you like to invest? How far do you like to go with the companies? So we like to invest uh, in Series A's and Series B's. Uh, series A's being our sweetest spot. We do seeds as well. Um, uh, uh, so seed all the way to Series B, I should say. Um, and um, three to five million dollars, uh, plus or minus. But, you know, uh, it's it's pretty flexible because we, uh, you know, we like to come in with some larger checks as well. Um, we like to follow companies. Uh, uh, you know, we are constantly monitoring the company's performance and, and we like to do follow-ons uh, as well. Uh, and selective follow-ons and optional follow-ons, and so so that's that's how we are operating. Yeah. Overall, as of today, roughly, uh, how much money has Rocketship de- deployed across all the funds, and how many companies? Yeah, I think some fourteen different countries and so on. Absolutely. So our geographic spread is pretty uh, large. To your point, you know, we are in every continent, um, and uh, we are. Um, uh, we have deployed um, 140, uh, 150 million dollars, um, uh, and uh, we are, uh, you know, we are about that roughly, um, and we continue to sort of f- sit on uh, now fresh uh, dry powder because we just raised our fund three, we just closed uh, in January, um, and so you know we continue to. Sort of keep our bar high and uh, and find great companies uh, from our data, uh, and 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 India is continues to be hot, uh, and we are very bullish on India, uh, and uh, you know I think we will uh, continue to deploy money from our third fund, uh, which we just announced earlier this year, um, uh, in India and of course elsewhere, but India for sure, yeah. And collectively, I would imagine all these companies are now privately valued at several billions of dollars. Yes, they are. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a lot of unicorns. Uh, you know, in our fund one, we had, uh, you know, we have had uh, uh, Moglix and No Broker, uh, you know, um, and then in fund two, of course, we've, you know, we've got Apna and Khata Book and, uh, and, and, you know, and Jar. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and, and then, of course, we have companies in the U.S., uh, and in developed markets as well uh, as emerging markets that are sort of uh, the valuation is pretty high. We are in cheaper cash in Africa as well, um, and so uh, you know collectively it's just uh, it it is uh, it, it's a lot uh, you know in terms of just uh, great companies that have performed really well. Yeah. Mm. 
So over the five years, I'm thinking you must have invested in upwards of 300, 400 companies. No, actually, that's not uh, that's uh, not the magnitude at all of the investments. We like mm-hmm. to uh, you know we like to make 20, uh, 25 per fund. The first okay. fund we made 40 investments um, uh, or 35, I would say. So 35 plus 25. So you know roughly about 60 uh, companies uh, in the first uh, two funds, um, and then uh, we are looking at uh, fund three to be about 25 companies, 25, 30 companies as well. How deeply do you like to get involved with uh, founders? I mean, if it's on a scale of joining board meetings at one end and like rolling up your sleeves and getting into daily stuff at the other end of the spectrum, what's your sort of sweet spot? So, look, Hari, we are very different in in that. We, we are very upfront in telling folks that. We take we take board seats, so we are not not taking board seats. So when you know, and that of course comes with the gamut of board meetings and getting involved in conversations and and whatnot. But our philosophy is very clear. We've all been past founders and operators, and so we feel that we want to make sure that you know we are not um, we are not sort of overbearing on our entrepreneurs. We like to help if we are asked for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we 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 are very very respectful of uh, you know of sort of a, a of mind space uh, of entrepreneurs uh, and so you know uh, we are not the we are not the VCs that will be calling you every week to kind of uh, get a dump from you on everything that's happening um, and so there is a respect for uh, you know just for the mind space of an of an entrepreneur. Having said that, we obviously like to help. Uh, you know, uh, we'll take board seats. We will be in board meetings. We will help with AOPs. We will help uh, with um, uh, we'll help with uh, setting the AOP, giving feedback on the AOP. We'll help with uh, strategy. We'll help help with all kinds of data because every company now is a data driven company. You know, it it has to be, and so we can do infrastructure help from the back end all the way to the front end to you know to analytics, to algorithms, to data science, to uh, strategy using data, to product you know, um, uh, development uh, using data. So, so it's a very, very broad gamut. And then you know, on the spectrum of how do we sort of uh, think about downturns and how do you sort of think about sort of like um, dealing with the next round and, you know, and acquisitions and, and so on and so forth because of the fact that we have obviously collectively built a lot of, you know, Built a lot of from the from the from the entrepreneurial side itself, uh, you know we've uh, we've done a lot of work, so we are able to bring some of the goodness of that uh, to the companies that we invest in. Mm. Yes, we are we are involved, but we always like to say that we want we want to be as involved as you want us to be involved, uh, because you know the best companies don't really the best founders don't really uh, need a lot of uh, heavy breathing down their necks. Um, you know, and and we are firm believers of that. Yeah. So this uh, being reliant uh, on uh, data and math models, uh, which are very data intensive, can you give us a sense of how that helps you figure out what the risk is when you're making an investment versus uh, how great an upside you might end up with? I mean, companies like Uravu Labs, for example, or Agnikul. I'm thinking that, and I had a chance to talk to some of those founders and I know a little bit about those companies. Uh, I'm just thinking that uh, that tech is, you know, it has to be like really sophisticated and there's a long gestation period and 
and there's no guarantee that Correct. they will eventually make it big Correct. so i'm just wondering how your data model helps you with these kinds of assessments i think it's a great question i think uh, there was a reason why i said that we are not an ai vc we hmm. are a, a very traditional vc uh that is using a uh, deal flow um uh, you know that that is using data to get our deal flow at the top of the funnel um and uh, so you know that's not traditional really let's let's face it that's not traditional but the last mile and the last few miles are always qualitative it's always you know manual it's always uh, it's it's partner driven um uh, these there is something happening in india in deep tech Uh, which are so these are trends bottom up trends so we don't have any juxtaposition that deep tech is happening in india or b2b is that's what our uh, algorithms is telling us so that's the first point so there was the bubbling up from our data of deep technology companies in india that started that now i can see is you know climate and sustainability and uh, and uh, you know and and other things are you know it's pervasive now because uh, uh, i'm seeing a lot many more companies and a lot much more chatter uh, in the market about in the ecosystem about that um so that i think i'll say that our uh, our data started bubbling up these uh, these deep tech companies uh, to what i will say is that we found uh, agnikul and uh, urava labs through our data uh, and we you know i i would say that we found them to be very interesting companies but look to your point there is really no traction metrics there's no pmf already uh, there's no sort of growth story here uh, this is a technology driven investment uh, you know which is like hey you know are these uh, is there a is there a, you know an opportunity here is there a tam here uh, you know what does it do is this you know who are the founders uh, does this sort of you know does this scale to what we think it will scale to um you know who are the other players in the market uh, that we see in our data and what are they doing and have we seen other companies like this so there's a lot of different signals and using all of those signals uh, you know we've obviously invested uh, a little bit ahead of the data just in terms of the performance because you can't really so deep tech is slightly different but the, uh, is there directionally enough signals for us to have been very very strong in our core about what uh, what these companies entail absolutely uh because you know every company uh in terms of sectors deep tech versus b2b versus b2c there are different signals and this different sort of directionality in terms of you know whether we want to invest or not that we get from our data uh and uh deep tech is slightly different uh, and obviously you know we have to uh, do a lot of uh, investing into the technology itself and uh, and the founders itself and uh and you know and how that will work and what not so we we got strength uh you know from on the top of the funnel in our data uh, to sort of directionally be positive and then take the last mile and 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 gain a lot of confidence uh, in these founders and in these technologies and in the opportunity in the markets uh, these three things i would say uh for these companies so the data gives you a good starting point and maybe even a sort of middle point if i can put it that way but you still want to meet people absolutely i think that's that's not just with deep technology companies that's with everybody mm-hmm. uh, uh like to meet people uh we like to meet people uh you know on uh, on zoom calls or whatever we just like to meet people and we like to understand uh how they perceive uh the strengths and weaknesses of their businesses and many many more things uh, 
take an investment. Yeah. Has the statistician or the scientist in you thought about pushing the envelope on this in the sense that your sweet spot is series A, you said, but maybe at the pre-seed level, if you were to automate this to the extent like a KYC or something, right? So an aspiring entrepreneur puts in all the information that you're asking her and then she gets her first check simply based on a decision-making engine. I mean, is that something that's interesting uh, from the point of view of tapping a pre-seed pool or are you like, you know, perfectly fine to be where you, where you are today? So, you know, I will answer that very transparently and truthfully. Uh, at the pre-seed level, it is very difficult to use data uh, very, very um, uh, concrete way. Uh, you have a lot of... Uh, uh, and it's not even like directionally also, it's a little bit weaker than slightly, you know, ahead of, uh, I would say seed, three series A, series A. Mm. Uh, and of course, as it, you know, as as it gets a little later, you know, there's more data. And so, it, you know, the the concreteness level only increases, you know, and the precision level only increases. Uh, at the seed, pre-seed stage, and I'll be very, very, very precise about this. At the pre-seed stage, it is very difficult um, uh, to have a lot of data uh, indicators. Uh, it's going to be a few data indicators. It's going to sort of be the uh, the geography and the and the founder and the in the quality of the founder. And so so there are signals. I'm not saying there are not signals, but you know it it's not going to be as precise. Um, the accuracy, obviously, we will we will be. It's going to be a balance between the accuracy and um, and sort of the capture. So you know, I I think that pre seed is a little early. Would we do it for Series A? Absolutely. In fact, I'll I'll tell you something hot off the press. Um, uh, we have done a benchmark analysis of all of the companies that make it to our screens, uh, and uh, you know, and I'll just now use some uh, you know a sample you know numbers here, just you know directional numbers. Uh, twelve hundred companies that make it to our screens per year. Out of those twelve hundred. Uh, and this is not companies that we invested in. This is the this is the entire sort of the set of companies per year that make it to our screens. We did an analysis with the top twenty VCs across the world and in the valley. If we were the performance of these twelve hundred companies is better or uh, or at par with the top twenty VCs in the world. What that is in layman's term is that if we were to just take these twelve hundred companies and not speak to any of them ourselves and not do any manual stuff. And just throw darts and just choose twenty five companies out of these twelve hundred. Our results would still be, you know, uh, at par or better than the top twenty VCs. Now, this is of course, you know, the access and you know, getting to these companies and whatnot. But that's a tremendous statistic, and that completely proves your point that can you just take this and automate it and invest in twenty five companies? The answer to that is a scary yes. Uh, which we are still not wanting to let go of ourselves. And as human beings, we like to, you know, place more importance on ourselves than required. Uh, and so, you know, uh, we are only sort of interrupted by our own egos. But the reality is that, you know, you could do that and you could have great results at the CD, at what we are doing right now, uh, not at the pre-seed, but what we are doing right now. Okay. At the more traditional part of the process, what are some of the most important checkboxes that must be ticked for you to make an investment in a founder and a startup? And maybe you can also go from there to talk about what is non-negotiable. So, you know, uh, after my last, my previous response, obviously this response is going to be very watered down because, you know, uh, the the answer would be that there's nothing really the uh, checkbox that we can check off that is going to improve the accuracy of the pick, you know, in terms of the odds. 
Um, but, you know, as human beings, because we always get ahead of ourselves and we get in our own way, uh, we have a few checkboxes. Um, uh, and uh, look, I think it's uh, at the end of the day, it's important to sort of get a right feel, the, the chemistry of a founder, you know, you want to look for great, passionate founders. You want to look for founders that are that have the ability to try and try again, uh, and that are very passionate about what they're trying to solve. That are, you know, who are smart, who are determined, um, and who are, uh, you, you know, who are uh, going to be folks that folk people are going to be interested in working for and with. Uh, that's a very important part of the uh, equation as well. So. Uh, so, so you know, those are the things that we like to look for. Um, and then we, of course, like to look for, um, uh, you know, just some, some sort of hygiene, uh, in general governance, you know, uh, th things like that. And, you know, these are sort of uh, unquantifiable uh, things that I'm now mentioning. Those are the, those, the, those are the value adds of the conversations. Uh, the one thing I will say is this. Out of the companies that we have reached out to that have responded back to us, it's always been LinkedIn messages or emails, and this is cold emails. Um, we have never sort of had the first call and said, what the hell was this, you know, because the uh, because the direct data has always been directionally right. They have they, All of them have been good companies. Now, we don't invest because every, every, sometimes, you know, there's good and great. It's all relative, you know, and good right now, not great right now. Uh, but yeah, so so that's uh, that's what I will say. Uh, but yeah, unquantifiable things is what we are looking for, uh, and it's not just founder related; it's other things. But it's hygiene stuff and uh, and other unquantifiable stuff. You know, we don't know all the data. Uh, we don't know the revenue. We don't know the growth. We don't know the month on month traction. Sometimes we are amazed uh, at uh, at the kinds of traction that we hear back from the companies that we reach out to. And some other times, you know, it's it's like, wow, you know, you're doing really well, but there is some ways to go. Let's put you on a watch list. Uh, but like I said, there's never been an underwhelming conversation. One of the keywords that you, when you were talking, that jumped out at me was that, you know, we get in our own ways, our egos get in our own way. And it triggered uh, the memory of a conversation with uh, an operator who turned a successful VC, VC partner. Uh, and he still runs a very big, I, I cannot immediately recall his name, but... Uh, one of the comments he made to me on this podcast was that to be a successful founder, at uh, you have to have a degree of being a megalomaniac. <laughs> and so the in, you know the non tangible parts of what you uh, look for in founders and things like that. I'm just thinking to what extent you might look at uh, the data and if it tells you and and then if all the numbers tell you that you're going to get great results from investing in a company, would that be okay or? I mean, even if you look at some of the founders of the biggest tech companies, they've built phenomenal businesses, but, you know, as human beings, they're just as flawed as the rest of us. So I'm thinking, uh, I don't know if this in the VC world, if this is a, maybe it's a dumb or a naive question, but do you need to get a sense of whether this founder is a good human being in order to invest in them? Or if you're uncomfortable on that, but you still think it's a great opportunity and therefore from a pure hard-nosed business perspective, you would go ahead and, you know, put money in those ventures. Sure, I think it's a it's a very interesting uh, question. Um, you know, I'll say this: I think that uh, a data based, um, a data driven investing strategy. We don't know most of the times who we are going to be reaching out to. You know, uh, whether it's whether it's the 
a man or a woman, whether it's, you know, which, uh, of course, for us, it's been, uh, you know, um, it's been geography or agnostic too. Um, uh, we, uh, so that's, you know, that I think what we are really at the fundamental uh, level looking at is who are the companies that are disproportionately growing better than others and their peers. So that's the fundamental sort of thesis uh, of our uh, of our data driven approach. Given this, there are you know um, it takes all kinds to build the world, uh, and I have seen this uh, again and again. And so you know, based on our investing sort of thesis, which is let's find the best companies, you'll be surprised, Hari, the kinds of com- the founders that we meet. These are all good companies because you know they have somehow bubbled up to uh, you know a funnel that's pretty restrictive, you know, in a lot of ways, which is our deal flow, you know, which is our data. Uh, and uh, and truly, it it embodies the, uh, you know, the, the coinage that it takes all kinds. Um, and we've, we've spoken to founders that are, um, that are, you know, quite forceful, <laughs> you know, on one end of the spectrum, uh, to founders that are, you know, are just sort of live and let live type of folks who are just building great businesses. So it makes our uh, conversation quite easy because we already know that these are, there is some magic happening uh, with these companies. You know, having said that, obviously everybody wants to work with good people uh, and everybody wants to work with uh, people that one gets along with. Um, But we are trying to remove a lot of that bias because we are very driven by our and so that's why, you know, it really is a very neutral approach to the, the problem, you know, uh, because once you have your data telling you something, that's the other thing we have, uh, we, we know, we don't like to, uh, we don't like to sort of be sitting in the way of what the data tells us. And like, we don't like to take very divergent moves. Like if somebody is telling, if the data is telling us that this company is incontrovertibly great, we will invest in it. I'm not saying that, you know, we invest in like uh, creeps. But, you know, but it it is, you know, and and most of these founders, very passionate, you know, and passion has got a lot of manifestations, sure. uh, you know, and you you need to be a certain force of nature uh, to to do the kind of job that they have to do, the decisions that they have to make. It's a very lonely place, you know, the tough decisions uh, is lonely. The good decisions, you know, the easy decisions is also lonely and, you know, and the easy decisions in retrospect look easy and, you know, but these are also, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. And so it's not an easy job, whatever your personality type, we want to remove all that bias because it's a data-driven investing uh, protocol. Uh, You know, uh, we definitely like to sort of be very, very um, uh, congenial with most of these folks and, you know, and and we've worked with good people. Uh, and good people that are sometimes in the tough spot uh, of having to make very difficult decisions uh, all by themselves. Uh, and, you know, all my respect and kudos to them. I think being a VC is the easiest job. Being the founder, that that's the, the superhero. That's the center stage. We're all sort of, you know, at the back uh, of the stage. Um, yeah. Okay. That said, for you personally, over the last 20 years, you must have developed uh, some really sophisticated antenna for what you're feeling and I guess a feel for when you should listen to what your heart is telling versus what your mind is telling you. Uh, what do you personally value in entrepreneurs? So that's, um, so, you know, I know that this will sound like a, a bit of a mechanical response, uh, 
uh, but i truly like to listen to the data um, i'll truly okay. like, like it to be a guiding force for me um i uh, of course there are things that i like and i don't like but i uh, i like to per- get out of my own way uh, you know in 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 many of the things uh, there there's some deal breakers you know you don't you don't want folks that uh, the cap table needs to be clean uh, you know everything needs to be sort of above board all of the i mean you know just general hygiene like i said but beyond that we truly let the data guide uh our be- you know it's it's best principles you know data is best principles type thing so mm. uh and, and that's how we like to work um yeah mm. what what's the data telling you about the strengths and weaknesses of the indian startup ecosystem in your context as of today and therefore based on that what's the kind of direction you think you all are going to go over the next 12 to 18 months absolutely look it's um and we're not just deep tech we're, we're still very interested in consumer tech fintech b2b the gamut uh so I'll let the, let me make that very clear at the very outset um it's very hard to predict sort of macro economic future uh, from our perspective we think that um you know we'll have to see how q4 goes uh you know and uh, and q1 and q2 it's quite it is looking a little bit difficult till q3 2023 20 uh, but you know uh, if things don't go well by q2 q3 2023 then you know um by uh, it might be q1 2024 it's very hard to tell the macro uh, the macroeconomic future um you know we we do think that in the next 12 to 18 months uh, you know things are going to look we're already seeing valuation corrections um while the investments we have now just make uh, making are a little co- uh, confidential we have seen valuations come down by 40% um for even good companies um and um only the highest quality companies are even getting inundated with sort of uh, in getting their rounds done with great funds um but you know uh, that said uh, 12 to 18 months looks sort of uh, we don't know let's see let's see 2023 2024 q1 is what we are thinking um you know the indian and in terms of the strengths and the weaknesses of the indian startup ecosystem i think that was your question um you know the indian startup ecosystem's biggest strength according to me is uh, both the presence of a really large market because you know this is a very large market and and the talent pool uh, uh, combined with the significant is it it's not enough to have a talent pool uh, and a large market but it's it's combined with the interest in entrepreneurship and that's you know and that's magical really um Uh, so people are willing to start and try out ideas and iterate um and are not afraid of taking those risks um and they have the talent to build their ideas uh, and uh, and and you know and initial and initial markets you know they're trying they're basically trying to uh, develop solutions uh, and and try that out in the markets um i think the biggest uh, weakness in this ecosystem is um is a need uh, of uh, need for help in company building especially in the downtimes uh, i'm seeing this more and more um of course there's infrastructure you know there's uh, company formation licensing bank accounts uh, you know legal framework govern you know governance policy all of that that's there um, but it's also management which is what i said you know m- management skills for building uh and and motivating teams in these times especially um so you know what i think is a gap is that we really need that's what i see is the biggest gap in this ecosystem is that we need 
established entrepreneurs uh, as well as executives um, in some of the best companies that have uh, that have come out from this country to become mentors and advisors to these startups uh, mm. they need to have an, these founders need to really have an ecosystem around them that can fill in the gaps in their skills all right tell us a bit more about yourself i'm interested in uh, knowing how you went from singapore rather from india to singapore and then singapore to australia uh, how did those decisions happen i was lucky uh, it was truly um, you know i would love to take all the credit but because my parents who were the who were the bold ones uh, who decided to move out of uh, india uh, uh, you know and i i don't think it was because they wanted to move out of india that was bold i thought that you know i thought that after a career in air force you know my father was an air force officer to take premature retirement and to try something new uh, at his age uh, you know uh, it, it requires it was not the it was not sort of the the usual path uh, if you will uh, and so uh, so that you know that was um, that was in, taking risks was inculcated somewhere uh, deep in my system uh, e- even then uh, but singapore was eye opening um, it was um, you know i was in uh, i came in in the middle of uh, uh year 11 uh, and i did not want to repeat the I, you know i didn't they wanted me to repeat all of year 11 um and so uh, you know but i kind of got it and i finished a two year uh general cambridge uh, pro a level program in one and a half years uh, i didn't have to uh, you know repeat or redo an entire year um uh, and uh, it was a lot of work in singapore they introduced calculus to you in uh, in 6th standard or something and in india i remember it's 10th or 11th standard that they introduce and i don't remember i have become very old uh, but i i recall that you know i had to uh, i had to learn a lot in an extraordinarily accelerated pace um and so that was it was a very very challenging couple years one and a half years but i uh, you know it, it taught me a lot it was a life lesson of sorts um uh, and uh, you know i moved to australia because um Uh, you know australia is where um they uh, they had some of the best australia is a very very open country in the mid 90s i'm talking about they were very open uh, i you know i uh, i was able to benefit a lot from the australian government's um, schemes uh, for folks that wanted higher education and so i joined university of sydney uh, and did my engineering school there uh, you know again a very very great experience because i was able to take a lot of math classes because i was interested in math uh, but computer engineering you know from an indian background you are either an engineer or a doctor and so you know my parents were very keen that i do engineering and so i did uh, eecs computer engineering uh, but then i was also able to sort of really really wet my appetite for mathematics and i did a, you know ended up taking a lot of math courses which is which is what really got me into applied mathematics and statistics later on in life uh, and so it's been a very very um, it's been a very interesting journey and some of the parts of the journey have been pivotal without even there without even you know you just don't know you know it's always hindsight is always 2020 uh, you just uh, you don't know and you can't predict stuff but it's it's all been key to the person that i've become to the choices that i have made and to the choices that have presented themselves because of you know because of uh, what has enfo- uh, unfolded in my life what did your dad do in the air force and what did he decide to do in singapore so my dad was um a, a met officer in, in the air force and then he taught 
in the College of Defense Management where uh, the Indian Army, Air Force and Navy folks all come together. And, you know, there's a there's a management course that happens. Uh, and then uh, when my dad went out to Singapore, uh, he was uh, in a management role um, in a private company. So uh, so that also, you know, from from being in the uh, in the ATC yeah, as a Met officer to CDM, uh, to then sort of uh, taking a position in a private uh, uh, of you know in, in a private sector uh, place with in a management capacity so it's it's also been an interesting journey for him yeah how old was he when he moved the family there that was that's a very very so he was in his late 40s uh, oh, okay. you know and that's not the typical time that people move out sure. uh, and you know uh, so that's i think that's what you know yeah it's, it's incredible i mean yeah, i guess Paid off rich dividends in terms of your career, I'm sure. Yeah, fair enough. Um, you mentioned uh, pivotal points. Um, I'm thinking, um, was there a point, or or maybe there there might have been multiple points where you either deliberately or uh, by chance found yourself uh, way outside what you would think of as your comfort zone uh, in your career. How did you do those things? What did they teach you? Absolutely. I think my career has been one of a lot of bold moves. Uh, I could have been a computer scientist uh, right out of college because my engineering degree was, you know, it was a computer engineering degree with a lot of software and hardware courses. Uh, so I, I I fit into a very traditional bucket. Uh, I could have gone on to do n number of programming jobs or, you know, uh, project management program. It was just, you know, it was, it was a computer industry that, that uh, was, you know, was my reckoning, you know, after my degree, a natural reckoning. But, you know, that's not what I did. Uh, I chose to work, you know, as a statistician. Um, and that was a very, very, uh, I was very clear about that. I was very clear after having taken those math courses that that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and so that was um, putting myself out of my comfort zone, having to learn a lot on the job. Uh, you know, I was, I remember that I was contributing to, uh you know, R as a programming language. And then, uh, you know, uh, there was just, there was a, it was very early uh, in the entire statistical sort of uh, uh, world, uh, you know, if you will, data science world, uh, as it's called now. Uh, and, you know, and I used to attend these conferences, uh, joint statistical meetings, which is called JSM. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, across the US, very few of us, not many people really knew product analytics and so on and so forth. Uh, and I used to be, you know, uh, in R and SAS and Python language, uh, you know, groups very, very early on in, in, you know, 2005, 2006. And folks were like, you know, what is all this, you know, and and, and so so I think those were putting myself out of my comfort zone at the beginning. Later on, you know, I decided to sort of go out and um, become uh, become interested in sort of company building. As a data scientist, again, that's not a uh, natural path if you are not already, you know, found, finding other co-founders and whatnot. So uh, going into, uh, you know, trying to do a startup of your own uh, with an Intuit in my case, still that was a very bold move because, you know, you could sit in the R&D because it was a very, very coveted position. You know, you are one of the first data scientists in the org, uh, you know, and you... Um, are helping a lot of these other groups and products, uh, but to go out and start your own product with others, you know, uh, product managers and uh, and strategy folks and whatnot, uh, as one of as the first data scientist, that's again a bold move. Uh, to then going into venture capital <laughs> investing, 
again was sort of so my career has been a lot of firsts if you will and i've been very lucky because things have found uh, uh you know things have found me but i i would like to say that i have also been very very proactive in being open to uh, new things and putting myself out of you know the comfort zone i was actually in a vc uh, in a fintech fund uh, out of hong kong and singapore i didn't have to go back to being an operator but when gojek came that was another sort of a pivot like i realized that in southeast asia it was not the best time to be uh, a vc in the ecosystem but to be providing value back being the operator uh, you know and so i took that decision i knew it somehow it was not clear whether gojek was going to be the clear winner or not uh, you know because there was grab there was uber there was a lot of noise uh, indonesia was you know an unknown i'd never really gone to even jakarta ever um so there was a lot of unknowns and i took those and i embraced those uh, and you know those have all been just great decisions uh, you know in retrospect uh, but you know the opportunities have found me but like i said i've also sort of embraced those opportunities however scary and unknown they were yeah at the time being something of a global citizen like this throughout your career and life as well i mean does that give you some interesting perspectives both in your investing work as well as in life and one thing specifically that was on my mind was for example as we grow older things like what not to worry about i mean you get like a a different perspective on such things by being a sort of globe trotting person absolutely i think uh, that is such a great question because i feel like the only thing that is um uh, that is constant is change uh, and uh and many people i think are very very um resistant to change uh, and uh, even if they don't want to sort of acknowledge it or admit it even to themselves it's very difficult to change and to adapt constantly uh, and to sort of uh, you know uh, yeah just to be uh, you know to be adaptable to um, to different to a different context to a different environment uh you know that translates into just your psyche of being adaptable to new generations to new technology uh to new ideas uh to sort of know that you know how much you don't know uh and so those are the things that my entire life has taught me from a very early age uh where change has been the only constant and that's really helped me um you know in my in in the way i i think through things and uh, in the way i take risks and the way i make decisions mm. for someone who's aspiring to a, a vc career in india or anywhere uh, how would you have them prepare what advice would you give them absolutely i think uh, you know i think that uh, it's always good to have operator skills uh, either be a founder or an, or an early employee um, management skills intern or roles in management at top companies uh, that do training etc um significant curiosity is really important uh, about a wide uh, array of topics um uh and you know you have to be interested in engaging with people uh, it's just it's really important because you're not building the company uh, you know it's you are not doing something you have to be interested uh, in engaging with a wide uh, you know uh, array of people like i said so so interesting uh, uh, interesting thing you know interested in being uh, open and engaging with people um events to uh, building networks on and so forth if you want to really sort of uh, you know have a pie uh, have your hand in every pie 
uh finally uh, i think you know it will be important i think doing there are a lot of local emerging uh, vc funds that are coming up so doing roles there um will obviously make you an attractive candidate so now i'm talking about not just what you uh, you know what skills you need but what is the career path that you know will be attractive to vc funds um because uh, you learn new things and you know the vc mechanics and so on and so forth uh and you know the mechanics of investments and returns and 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 things like that and if possible you know um i do think given you know everybody's personal situation uh one way is to do angel investments you know small token investments but you know just to sort of do some angel investments uh via group investing if if you know if that's possible in whatever capacity um and um only when you risk your personal money i feel that you will learn Uh, how to sort of take on? It's a very big responsibility to take on an LP's money, uh, and and what's and you know and so once you do your own personal investments, you will learn uh, what's important in evaluating the company and so on and so forth. So that I think is you know uh, are the skills and and the path uh, to VC. Very nice, Ali. I'm walking away with a lot of food for thought. Uh, such an insightful conversation. Just uh, to kind of. lighten up the 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 heavy uh, insights uh, i'm really curious about your biggest productivity hacks you know i think that um really sort of uh uh valuing the why why do you do what you do and to enjoy what you do those are the the uh, th- those that's the one thing that's you know kept me going um and uh you know because if you love what you do uh and if you kind of reflect on why you're doing what you're doing and they have to be very closely related <laughs> correlated i think that's uh, uh, you know everything else falls into line your prioritization your everything and it keeps you going and it and it gives you that extra sort of uh, joy you know it, it's joyous if you if you love what you're doing and if you constantly remember why it is uh, that you know what you are doing then those are the those are the things that you know keep you going and keep me going for sure are there any one or two habits that kind of help you get the most out of your time since you mentioned prioritization you know i like to uh, start my day with uh, a run or exercise just for 20 minutes uh, i don't do more than that nowadays uh, 20 25 minutes to clear my head uh and to sort of uh, get perspective and and get um it's just my it's my my time especially when i run uh you know i i really uh, it it a lot of things fall into place so it's not it's not sort of formulated uh, thought uh, but it's just something that you know uh it gets um you know it's it, it, it is uh, not tangible uh you know i i'm able to clearly a lot of things clear in my head as i as i run and as i exercise right in the morning uh, and i'm able to kind of take on my day and quickly prioritize uh, and it and it, after that everything falls into place but yeah that's i think my go to uh, is to clear my head and before i see a, a, a ton of emails just to go and run and then is when i answer everything else fantastic can you thank you so much again uh, truly appreciate you made so much time for me very generously I definitely hope to keep the conversation going It was a pleasure, uh, Hari. Thank you so much for having me on uh, the show and some very interesting questions. And I had a good time. Yeah. That's it for this week's Startup Fridays. Wherever you've been listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. Have a great Friday and a wonderful weekend ahead.